You're listening to Sibling Talk, commentary from a progressive point of view. Now here are your hosts, John Paulette and Mary Jo Tumer. Hello, I'm John Paulette. And I'm Mary Jo Tumer. You know, Mary, uh, if on January 1st or January 2nd of 1914, you were working in a factory in the United States, the likelihood is, because this is the average, you were making $2.34 per day. That was the average wage in, in a factory. January 4th of 1914, Henry Ford stunned the country and announced that he immediately was going to increase uh, the payment for people who worked in his factory making automobiles to $5. He more than doubled it. Uh, everybody seems out of his mind. By the way, it's a little sidelined. I'll get to the key point. There were conditions of that. You were not allowed to drink alcohol if you did that. Uh, you were not allowed to beat your wife anymore. I'm not kidding. <laughs> Good one. <laughs> Good one. You were not allowed to take borders into your house uh, anymore. And the kind of the overall idea of this was he wanted people to move into what he perceived as the middle class, which didn't really even exist at that point. He thought they ought to kind of behave like what he thought good middle class. So you could buy a model. Yeah, that was the key. And I think most people, most economists now, historians looking at it, say what he did was to create a market for his product because suddenly he had all these workers and they could afford to buy it. And we would drive this market up. I mean, economists also point out that he at this point was speeding up assembly lines and the work that uh, they were being asked to do was, was real drudgery. It was very monotonous work and a lot of pressures were being put on. But if you were going to make twice what most people made in a factory, you could put up with a little bit of drudgery. I'm wondering, and and I think you're an interesting person to talk to about this, because so much of your background rotated around employment, human resources, uh, you know, those both when you're in the corporate world uh, and working directly as a lawyer. I'm wondering, is, is the Henry Ford experiment a good parallel to increasing the minimum wage to $15? Or are these just totally different stories? Well, some things are really different in them because when Henry Ford did that, we did not have um, what is known as the Fair Labor Standards Act, which required um, people who were paid hourly to, to receive overtime if they work over 40 hours in a work week. That's a very significant change from the 30s. I mean, I guess it was part of New Deal legislation, but it was at that time, that reformation of of labor and employment and labor issues, so that we went from, I'm going to pay you $5 a day, to I'm going to pay you $5 an hour. And that's, that's a significant change of how we think about employment, whether you're an hourly employee or a salaried employee. And there are a lot of legal tests about why you're one or the other. But in our world that we live in now, where we're talking about hourly wages, the 
the good what Henry Ford did is pay people a living wage to help raise the amount of poverty and then make them consumers. And in a consumer-driven society, you want people to be able to buy goods. The other part that did not exist back then that exists now is that when you are not paying people a living wage, and we can argue whether $15 an hour is a living wage, because that's $30,000 a year. It's not easy to live on $30,000 a year in the United States anywhere. But let's assume that that's your your uh, floor, that if you're not making that, if you're making $7 an hour, the government is continuing to subsidize you, be that food stamps, um, Medicaid, other Title eight, uh, Section 8 housing. So you're, it's a kind of socialism, isn't it, where Walmart doesn't have to pay its people a living wage, but the United States taxpayers will subsidize people so that they can exist. So really, when we talk, there's a, it's, minimum wage is such an interesting issue because one of the issues that we're talking about is, are we, we going to shift the burden to employers to pay their people, or are we going to allow the government to continue, that is the taxpayers, to subsidize these major uh, companies who are not paying minimum wage? However, most, well, I, you know, I think you phrased. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead on that. Well, phrase. I was going to go no, in a different way. I, so. I was just thinking that you, you know, you you frame that really well, and I I'm going to call it the Joe Manchin argument, because what Manchin, senator from West Virginia, the way he would like us to see this is that we are being oppressive to the small employers, and that the problem is. The mom and pop shops will no longer be able to give a job to little Ricky because it's it's just too important. And they're just trying to help Ricky out on his first job. But you're saying, no, we shouldn't just think of little Ricky down, working down at Pop Soda Shop. We should be thinking about Walmart. We should be thinking about Amazon, those kind of places where we as a nation have to subsidize these employees. Sure. That's right. That's exactly right? right. Because people have to live and people will figure out a way to live. The other piece of that is, is that many large employers, and this has happened over time, will pay people what they need to pay them to make the, to have them work. So if I'm like, there's no point to me going to work for seven bucks an hour, but you pay me 15 bucks an hour. Okay, I'm done for that. And this is not because a human being is lazy, but because we all make uh, economic calculations relative to our wages and our work. So, you know, at the top end of a wage scale, if let's say I'm making $150,000 a year and I get laid off my job, so I'll give you a job for $50,000 a year. It's like, hey, listen, <laughs> I'm not working for $50,000 a year. I'm work- 50- You give me 120, I might think about it but I'm not working for 50. It's not worth it. So people at the lower end of the um, the wage scale think similarly. The other thing employers think about is how do I attract good people? I attract good people with money. So in other words, your hourly employees aren't any different than your executives. You've got to pay for quality. So where I worked, we paid people a good wage for a factory job 
because that guaranteed us that we would continue to have a steady stream of good people that not only wanted to work there, but who stayed. Because another very important part about wages, John, is you want to minimize your turnover because turnover is very, very expensive to a business. Every time I have to bring a new person in, it's the cost of hiring, and then train and have the downtime of training. And let's say that's a year to replace a job or six months. You know, I mean, you can remember from your experience, that's a sliding scale. Some jobs take less training time than others. Nonetheless, you want to minimize turnover. And one way you minimize turnover is pay someone a living wage or above so that they aren't worrying about money all the time. And see what I mean? Like we're all this way. If I have a job where I don't really have to worry about the wage, it's a good wage, it's a good job, I'm going to stay there. The benefits are good. And then my boss isn't a jerk, right? Because <laughs> the main reason people leave a job is a boss. But nonetheless, the wage piece is important to maintaining a stable workforce. And strong, good companies have, have stable workforces and wages and paying someone well. To go back to, I've been thinking so much about this. They keep talking it's fight for 15 and they don't want to make wage, uh, raise the minimum wage. I don't think, and I think a lot of research would, would uh, support this, that you're going to have that much effect on the economy writ large. In fact, you may have a positive effect on the economy, but at least it won't be a detrimental, like this fear for small businesses. But the effect on any individual worker who's currently making $10 an hour and goes up to 15 is huge. Because think of what a big um, ra uh, raise that is. And think about any time you've had a job where you got, you know, a 20% raise. You're like, wow, I'm living because we live to what we make. So I, I think that it's a false flag, this argument. It's to be honest, it feels to me like one of those issues that Republicans or conservatives, if we throw Manchin in there, they hold on to as some kind of economic truth that is not a truth at all. You know, I, I think you phrased this so well that it's not that it's going to have a great effect on the economy. I agree with that. But it has this individual effect on human lives. And I'm sorry, I'm going musical theater on you here. But <laughs> in, in the 1950s, there was just a marvelous musical called The Pajama Game. It's kind of forgotten now, but it's a great musical. And the central issue of it is that the union in the pajama factory is going on strike. And the raise they want is seven and a half cents. And that becomes a song, but it's got a great lyric. They say seven and a half cents doesn't mean a heck of a lot. Seven and a half cents doesn't mean a bunch, but you give it to me every day. Kind of goes on. And they describe in the song how much seven and a half cents for them at the time changes. They can buy a car. They can buy a house. And that's really what we're talking about, right? And I think it's so much the focus of the Biden administration. I think that's why this uh, this bill is important. The same as the child tax credit, uh, the minimum wage has the possibility of directly affecting people's lives. You know, I know people get scared all the time. They say, well, 
you know, this kid's going to get laid off. Or the one I hear all the time is if if you do this and you raise those wages, you're going to uh, force employers to increase automation. I, I think that's nonsense. Employers are going to increase automation if they can anyway. I Sure. A while ago, actually, because I haven't been to one in a long time, but I went into a McDonald's uh, here and you you don't go up and say, you know, I'd like a number two Big Mac and a Happy Meal. You go to like this kiosk with a touch screen and you touch that thing. And that's what does the the order. That's going to go on anyway. I mean, you were in your company. If you could automate a process, of course you did it. Sure. And it's not because of the wages. That's not because the, the amount of money it costs to upgrade to the kind of uh, machines that are used in manufacturing companies to now, you know, you have to get more of a payback than just wages. So you do get a speed of productivity. And that's why they say the United States is the most productive workforce in the world, because it's, there are very few people involved in the means of production. But the reason to pull employees out of those kinds of jobs is, is manyfold. One of which is human beings get hurt and injured workers are very expensive. So the more people you can pull out of the back-breaking jobs, the more you minimize injuries, both the cost of them and the human cost to individuals who get hurt at work. Because in many jobs, injuries are inevitable. I mean, I know OSHA hates to hear that, but there's a truth to that. Also, human beings are kinds of pains in the neck, right? They're, you have to manage it. You have to have a manager just to manage people. This is These are the reasons we automate, plus the speed. And also, depending on what you're doing, let's say your food or your uh, pharmaceuticals, it's cleaner not to have any human beings in there. You know, we talk about getting all these vaccines made. I'd love to get into one of those factories, but I bet you can't get into them because no, they're clean no. spaces. So the, uh, there's all these reasons to automate. And then you retrain people. to. It doesn't mean that there aren't still jobs available. There are lots of jobs available in these spaces, but they're just not the kind of mind-numbing, back-breaking jobs that have existed in the past. And automation has proved to be a positive, not a negative for our economy. Absolutely. I listen. This one's not directly on point, but it it, it was so vivid. It's in a terms song. Of employees. Is it a song? No, it's not a song. It's a true story. All right. This past uh, uh, past week, we had terrible snow and ice here, and I got my car stuck, and so I had to call a tow truck. Tow truck comes. Uh, a young, strapping young guy. I'm certain he played football in high school. Uh, got out. The first thing he said was. Uh, did you turn your traction control off? I, I said, what? I, I don't know. He said, he looked at me like I'm an idiot. You don't know the button. So he turns the traction control off, does a couple of other things. But he said, I don't need to tell you on this. You get in. I'm strong enough. I'll push you over. He does that. Then he kind of helped me, you know, get a little bit of salt. I did all this stuff. So I talked to his boss and his boss told me, I have had this company for 38 years. He said, you know, the only real challenge I have is getting employees like that guy you did. Because I told him, I said, this kid is great. I love it. He said, and the boss said to me, I can have this company if I have great people. If I don't have great people and they're hard to come by, I can't have my company. 
any anymore. You know, in some way, that's true of all of us. Even if you can automate your plant like mad, it still comes down to, can I have good people or not? And, and I guess the tie I'd make on that is, as a nation, as businesses, if we want great people and we want them to get trained and we want to work, we're going to have to pay them. And paying people a, a, a fair wage is what makes an, an employee know that you as the employer respect them and you care about them and their families. And that creates loyalty to company and to the system as a whole. So I agree with you. That's a great story to end on. Great. We'll end on that with me singing also from the Pajama Game, one of my favorite songs. Hey there, you with the stars in your eyes. Isn't that a great song? That's from Pajama Game. Awesome. It's beautiful. Bye. Sibling Talk is a JMP production. Theme song by David Paulette.